We have for the booklets this morning as an outline, it's pretty simple, but the, the heading of the sermon is and on, uh, The Pleasure of Holiness. The heading of this sermon is The Pleasure of Holiness because, and this is where we're starting, I've noticed, and you perhaps have too, that we assume as soon as Christians, the church, start speaking about holiness, we assume it's time to switch out, this is going to be boring, a bit of a drag. I think that when it comes to being talking about holiness or it comes to the idea of being holy, we feel holiness is kind of like this ravitizing, come along and take the fun out of your life. Holiness, we feel like, is the hole in you that's left when the fun's taken out. And I think that we feel that, we think that because... We perhaps have heard sermons or we've seen uh, messages or we've seen the way it's advertised that holiness is meant to be kind of like bland. It's meant to be something that's take the fun out, take the pleasure out, when actually I want you to see this morning what I've noticed in the scriptures, what we see here, holiness is a life of pleasure. There is a pleasure in holiness. There is a, a joy in holiness. This morning in First Thessalonians 4, particularly this morning, we're speaking about holiness and sexuality. So we could just do a message on holiness, but that's not what this passage is saying. This passage is particularly speaking about holiness and sexual immorality. And why do we need to talk about that? Because God brings it up. God is passionate about your holiness, my holiness in this area of life. He's passionate about it. Um, the context of this passage, of course, comes from what's just happened before. It's a prayer. Uh, the, the letter of Thessalonians is structured with a prayer at the beginning, a prayer in the center, and a prayer at the end. And look at the prayer at the end of chapter 3. And Paul prays there, in verse 13, he prays, so that God may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. So Paul is praying this for the church. He's passionate about the church being holy. And then we have to ask the question, then, How? Holy how? How can we be holy? How can we be ready for Christ's return? And why would we want to? Well, Paul firstly says in the passage we just read that Amy read, it pleases God. Holiness pleases God. Have a look there in verses 1 and 2. Uh, check it out. He says, Firstly, finally, brothers and sisters, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, as you receive from us, you ought to walk to please God. And he says, you're already doing it, but do this more and more. What is Paul saying here? He's saying, Christians of all people in the world need to be consistent. If I could give you another definition of holiness, um, we'll look at a, a, a biblical definition in a moment, but just in terms of the way the world is watching. The world has always been watching the church, Christians, and here's what the world understands holiness to be. For Christians, it is being consistent. If we trust in Jesus and say, he is my saviour and Lord, and if we're going to walk like Jesus, then holiness is just being consistent with Jesus. It's being a consistent Christian. What's the opposite of being a consistent Christian? It's being the kind of Christian or religious person that Jesus has the strongest words for. 
It's being a hypocrite. The opposite of being a consistent Christian and walking like Christ is being a pretending Christian, is, is kind of pretending on the outside to, to have it all together, but actually not being honest enough to say, I don't, and I'm a bit messy, actually. That's why I need Jesus. Jesus is gentle and lowly. Jesus welcomes all who would come to him. But Jesus, in his gentleness, even reserves the strongest words for hypocrites. Uh, the ones he particularly interacts with are the Pharisees. You remember that, that kid's talk that Amy gave? And she was speaking about there's a home and there's a lady who comes with all her sin. This woman who comes with all her sin, she knows her sin and she's got tears and she's washing Jesus' feet with her tears and drying them with her hair. And what does the legalist in the room do? What does the religious person in the room do? Oh, she, if you knew who that was, you wouldn't hang out with her. And Jesus has the strongest words for hypocrites, for religious actors. He calls them at times whitewashed walls. Why? Because you just got veneer. You've got the painting on the outside. The rendering is there, but underneath the rendering, which is crumbling, is your pretense and your pretending. And Jesus here is saying to us, holiness pleases God, and that kind of holiness is walking like Christ. It's being a consistent Christian. Not a perfect one, by no means. Still a sinner, but a saint who is consistently saying, Jesus is my saviour, and I want to live for him. Jesus changes everything, and that means something around here as a church, doesn't it? If Jesus changes everything, it changes things in my life, and it will do it over the course of my life, be that 44 years or 84 years. Jesus does change. He changes us to walk like him, to live holy lives. Holiness, the first point, pleases God. But here's the second thing. Why is holiness important? Holiness is about human dignity. We see it in this passage. Look at verse 3 with me, please. Verse 3. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. <clears throat> Holiness is for human dignity. And that's God's will for you. Now, before the pandemic, I think it would have been easy for us in the West, in the Western church, to think God's will for me is to have a perfectly happy life, um, to always be healthy, always be well, always be comfortable. There's nothing wrong with being healthy, well and comfortable, but the assumption was God's will for my life is basically for me to get my way. But now we realise, all the more after suffering as a church, personal suffering, we realise after seeing this in the book of Acts, God's will for our life is bigger and better than just me having a comfortable few moments here on earth. Do you see what God's will is for your life? In black and white, in these verses, he is clear and loving with us. God's will, verse 3, is for your sanctification. The word sanctification comes from the Latin word sanctus. In the Greek New Testament or Latin or English, whatever you want to say, here's what it means, is to be set apart, to be different, to be like God in a world that is unlike God. It is ungodly. Sanctification is to be like Christ. You want to look what it looks to be holy? 
Holiness is not some sort of religious guru sitting on a pole trying to get away from society. Holiness looks like Jesus who goes into society to love the unlovelies, to forgive people, to care for them. That's holiness. And holiness, therefore, upholds human dignity. Why human dignity? Why is that part of holiness and sanctification? Because it's connected to, particularly, verse 3, sexual immorality. So parents and friends, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to use a word now for the rest of this sermon that will help us understand what we mean by sexual immorality. You see, the Greek word here for sexual immorality is a word that gives away everything it encompasses. So it's not a point where we can go, well, I'm not sexually immoral because I don't do X, Y, and Z. Now, the Greek word used for sexual immorality makes sense in my sermon preface to parents. The Greek word here explains everything that is wrong and everything that could be right when it comes to human sexuality. Because the Greek word here for sexual immorality is pornea. It's pornea. You can guess where we get another word for that in English these days. It's pornea. Which means for application for this sermon, I don't need to give you a list of do's and don'ts. Because you get what pornea is, right? It's like the old saying... I don't have a definition for it, but I know it is when I see it. I know what it looks like. It's, it's everything not the way God's designed for human flourishing and human dignity. So to be clear in a world of pornea, look at verse 4. That each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honour. This is the positive, the wonderful, beautiful view in a world that's gone wrong of how we grow in holiness. We grow in self-control. We live in a world where self-control is frowned upon, but self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Along with other ones, like peace and patience and kindness, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. But the contrast of verse 4 is, just in case we're not sure what that looks like, look at the contrast in verse 5. So in other words, verse 4 is, Self-control, in contrast to verse 5, passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. There's two contrasts here. There's, there's a contrast of what it means to live for God and what it means to not live for God. And look at this and the differences in human dignity. You see, the opposite of self-control is lust, it's over-desire. What is lust? Is lust a satisfying thing when fulfilled? No, it's not. See, the world of pornea that we live in and its entanglements for us who are believers in Jesus, the world of pornea, we know, just scratch beneath the surface of it, we know it's not satisfying. The very thing that promises satisfaction, it advertises it to you. The very thing that promises satisfaction actually is a false promise. It's a lie. It's a faux satisfaction. And it means every time we go there, we die a little. It's not life-giving. Sex is a good gift of God. But unlike other sins, think of other sins. Greed, murder, hate, pride... Unlike those things, 
None of those things are gifts from God. None of those things have a kind of a gift of God correlation. But sex is a gift of God, and it's a gift that we as a human race have been abusing since the fall. There are other gifts of God we abuse. Food is a gift of God. We abuse it. Alcohol, a gift of God. We abuse it. Sex is a gift of God, and we abuse it. It's meant to be received with thankfulness in marriage, but instead what happens is a world of pornea. And here is where pornea is so bad for us, verse 6. Have a look at verse 6. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in these things. You see, this, this is about others. Our holiness before God also happens to affect others, the way we relate to others, and it robs others, sexual immorality robs others of human dignity. You see, adultery, lust, takes God's gift of sex outside of God's gift of marriage, pornea, it dehumanizes others, it dehumanizes us, we become less like image bearers of God in Christ and more like animals scrambling for scraps to satisfy us that never do. And we become, like Paul says in that verse, like people who don't know God. And then Paul writes something where all the Marvel fans just light up. Are you ready for this, Marvel fans? Paul writes something, a big reason to live holy lives is because, look at this, Marvel fans, verse 6, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. God created us, male and female. God created marriage and God created sex for marriage. And when we go outside of his beautiful design, we end up dehumanizing ourselves and one another. We turn image bearers into objects, objects of worship that they can never fulfill and never satisfy us. And we should never be in a place where we look for things other than God, for ultimate satisfaction. Does adultery lead to satisfaction or sadness? Does sleeping around lead to safe and secure relationships? Does doing whatever you want with your body to anyone else lead to no consequences? We ought to care about such things because God cares, and God cares about people. And when you look at the way in which it dehumanizes people and human dignity is so important to God because he made humans, just look at the pornea that's given birth to a whole industry on this. Pornea has given birth to a whole industry that claims to liberate people and they pay billions of dollars for people to advertise and speak about it. The industry gives platforms to women saying they're not oppressed but well paid and liberated. But the reality is, if you listen to the ones who are actually speaking about the honest truth about this, talk of liberation is a lie. The industry uses people, it abuses people, particularly ones who are consumed by it. It tears apart women, even girls, and boys and men. And this industry is something that it's not just about those people over there. We often talk about this, it's so easy in churches to assume this is just those bad people over there doing all those bad things over there. This is something that affects us here because it's an industry that has made it into the quiet places of our homes, of our hearts. It's one click away and is a high price to pay. 
there are some people who are doing patient work in this area. I really recommend you look up Melinda Tankard Reist. She's doing wonderful work in this area. But for us as a church, this is the place for us to welcome, heal, recover, and encourage one another. There are things I get that we'd rather not address, even in public. We'd rather not talk about it. But the Bible shows us from Proverbs through to 1 John that if we don't talk about these things, which the Bible brings up, by the way, God brings up, if we don't talk about it in the light, it just grows in the darkness. Until the darkness takes over. But here is the gospel, friends. You see, in all these things, the Lord is an avenger. The Lord is an avenger, not just a marvel avenger, but he is the just judge, and yet he's also the saviour. The Lord takes human dignity seriously, and there is justice for that, but he also takes our sins so seriously, he takes it on himself. Justice on him on the cross. These are the things that not only is the Lord avenger of, he is saviour from. These are the things that Jesus came to die for. Verse 7, for God has called us, not for impurity, but in holiness. God has called us for something better, something more wonderful. The bad news is for ourselves, we haven't got a hope in hell. The good news is God knows that and comes to change that. Look at verse 8. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Friends, a sermon, a message on holiness can be discouraging unless we see that we have all the encouragement, all the courage we could get, not from ourselves, but from Christ himself who sends his Spirit. He gives his Spirit Not only so we don't disregard what he says, so we have our faces turned towards him in faith, but also so that we can be encouraged by a Holy Spirit-powered holiness. Now, this verse doesn't give us all the details of how this works out, and there are other sermons you can go and listen to and watch. We've done series from Romans and Galatians and 1 John and all sorts of places here that would show us how this works. But for here and for us today... God intends, he gives his Holy Spirit to us to help us. One of the names of the Holy Spirit is helper. It's not scolder. It's not oppressor. It's not someone who comes in to make you feel badder. It's helper. He convicts of sin, yes, so he can show you the cross of Christ. He comes to dwell in us and to empower us. And if we would just believe it, amaze us by showing us the gospel of Jesus. And he gives us the power to be able to put sin to death, to grow in holiness. Friends, I am a sexual sinner. I'm a sexual sinner. But if we could have a moment of honesty... So are you. 
Jesus himself says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But then what does he say next? But I say to you, anyone who looks at a person lustfully in the heart has committed adultery. Jesus ups the ante on how high the law is, but then also ups it to, blows it away on how much he loves us. God gives us grace and salvation, left to my own devices. I mean, literally left to my own devices. I would fail and fail again. But God gives us his spirit. I'm a natural failure. But now with the Holy Spirit, I'm a supernaturally enabled person who can actually grow in holiness. And how does this happen ultimately? In my heart, in your heart? By enjoying the pleasure of holiness in Christ. The pleasure of holiness in Christ is a gift. You see... Look at verse 7 again. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. We're called out for something. We were stuck in unholiness, stuck in failing and sinfulness, but he has called us out. And we see that Jesus hasn't just saved us from judgment and hell. Sometimes Christianity can become just escapism. I just get to escape judgment and hell. But Jesus hasn't just saved us to escape judgment and hell. He saved us for holiness now and heaven forever. He saved us for something. Holiness is not life without fun because holiness is not a legalistic list of do's and don'ts. So you can do all the do's and don't all the don'ts all you want in your life and still not love God and not love others. Couldn't you? You could do what the Pharisees do and don't do what the Pharisees don't do and still not love God as you ought and not love others as you could. Legalists are like that. Legalists look like they're living holy lives, but they lead unfulfilled lives. And can I ask you a question? How happy do legalists look to you? Legalists are joyless. Whereas the real pleasure of holiness in Christ, the real motivation is not legalism, it's the Holy Spirit that lives in you. The power of the person of Christ in you. That's amazing. Jesus changes everything. Back in the Old Testament, uh, where Josh read earlier, back in the Old Testament, God said through the prophet Ezekiel, I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit. I'm going to put it within you. He was speaking to an Old Testament people who only knew that God dwelt in that big temple over there. And he's now saying, I'm going to go from there. I'm going to go into you. I'm going to live in you. And, verse 27, I'm going to cause you to walk in my statutes and you'll obey my rules. And we're like, wow, how is that ever going to happen? Because I'm such a failure. And the Holy Spirit does dwell in us. And the first thing he does is say, yes, here is what sin looks like. And yes, you're a failure. But secondly, he also then illumines us, illumines to us, he illuminates God's word to us. So we read this, we believe it, and we go, look at Jesus. Where I live an imperfect life, he comes in and lives the perfect life for me. And you know what he does? He dies on the cross. I mean, that's, that's amazing. And then the Holy Spirit says, you can now believe this. He turns the lights on. We're caused to be born again into a living hope like we've sung. We believe Christ, and now we can strange to us and strange to the world become more like Christ 
Here's where we finish, friends. If you belong to Christ and you belong to his church, you're a believer in Jesus, can we be honest enough to say we're not hypocrites? There's no need to pretend and perform here. We're all sexual sinners in some way. I'm a sexual sinner, you're a sexual sinner, but in Christ, you're loved. You know what, church? You and I are just like that sinful woman in the kids' talk. We're just like her. We know we've not lived holy lives, and yet we know when we look at Jesus, he's changed everything for us, and so we're like her. We go to him, and what Jesus says to her is now true of us. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, my sins are many, are forgiven. And what are we like now? We love much. We love Jesus much. We don't love the rules. We don't love our own righteousness, our own legalism. We love Jesus. And therefore, loving Jesus means as we love him more and more, we want to be more like him. And that's what happens. The Holy Spirit works in us so we do grow more like Jesus. Do you see the power of the Holy Spirit here in your holiness? It's the pleasure of loving Christ so much more than your sin that you'd now want to put that sin away, put it to death and turn to him. Thomas Chalmers was a pastor in the 1700s and he described it as the expulsive affections for Christ, that you love Christ so much it pushes everything out until you just push that sin out and put it to death. But what if you're exploring Christ? What if you're just looking into Christianity for the first time? Perhaps you tuned in online, you clicked on this, you saw it on Facebook, you clicked and you heard Amy's testimony, you heard Josh's testimony, you heard how we can be honest here and not hypocrites, you heard how we want to grow in holiness and actually there's a pleasure in that. What about you? Well, here's for you before we pray. Hear this. Heaven is a holy place. It's the home and throne of Christ himself, who is holy, holy, holy. And the same God in Christ, who is holy, dies for your sin, rose out of the grave, he is mighty to save, so you can have hope and holiness too. And if you believe in Jesus... Just like to that sinful woman, here's what Jesus says to you right now. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, holy God, thank you that Jesus took the cross for all our loss and failure so that we can be forgiven and free and pleasing to you in holiness. Thank you that when you look to us, you see Jesus and his righteousness on the cross. Thank you that when you look to us, you see us growing like Jesus, that we can do this. It is a pleasure. It is a joy. And so now we pray and sing, take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.